Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barrichini. Boys, a lot to talk about in Leafland. The goalies are still struggling. We've got a Matthew suspension and all the talk around the trades right now. But first off, Alex, how's it going this week? Well, boys, you know uh, you know what I always like to lead off my little, my little pod intros with? It's an update on... Uh, the state defense <laughs> ball hockey in Niagara. Uh, sad to say that French and Fried unfortunately lost in the finals. Um, we played a, we played a tough effort. We uh, we won the first game, lost the second, and then they decided to schedule a ball hockey game for like four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon for the final. So only half our team showed up, and yeah, didn't quite have the legs to take it home. But I think I'm I'm so proud of our effort, and uh, <laughs> excited to say that spring season is for whatever reason, starting again tonight. So our first game back is tonight at 10 o'clock at night. Wow. So I know not, they clearly don't know that I've been getting up at three 30 AM for work every day. So I'm not too, I'm not looking forward to that too much, but uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, after the fall, we were in div, uh, we were in div 12 in the fall. Then we were in div 10 in the winter. And it's just kind of fitting that in the, in the spring we're div 11. So either way, <laughs> we've been making our, we've been making our way around the bottom, the bottom of the uh, men's recreational divisions, but uh, this is going to be my last season with the team likely. So hopefully we're going to, uh, finally secure the chip we've been chasing this entire time so we'll you're a free this. agent then I, w- I guess i will be after this year yeah <laughs> I, sh- I, this- I should hire i should hire darren ferris as my agent yeah <laughs> bring in the bucks get your yeah. uh, get your smelling salts ready for tonight uh, you're gonna need a little wake up before before uh puck yeah. drop but, oh yeah those um, 10 11 o'clock games man those are brutal like the 6 a.m practices <laughs> oh god oh, they're not fun at all I don't uh, envy those anymore. No, no. Uh, Peter, how's your week been, buddy? Um, it's going good. And I know, you know, we're a Leaf podcast, you know, but, you know, it wouldn't be great to talk about, you know, the moves that the Toronto Blue Jays have been making. And boys, I am really excited for what's going to happen this season. I mean, just getting Matt Chapman, signing um, Yusei Kikuchi, um, you know, the signing of uh, Gaussman before, like, this is shaping up to be a team where we can win the ALEs. And, man, I know we talked about it before, but, boys, like I said, we, we got to do, like, a sticks in the six meetup. You know, go to a Jays game, have some fun, you know, get some beers in and watch this team dominate because this this is the year. This I'm getting, like, 2015, 2016 vibes. That's yeah. how great this is right now. Yeah, what's what's crazy too about it all right now is uh, there was a quote out uh, today from one of the Yankees players saying like this division is going to be crazy. Like they're they, they mean business. They're loading up, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I love to see the opposition kind of getting into it and, and shaking knowing in that, their hey, boots a little bit. Yeah, it's it's, it's oh, going to be scared. a scary division. Oh, yeah. I'm also just going to choose to believe that that player was taking a shot at Yankees management for not doing anything except for bringing Rizzo back. <laughs> And also the fact that Aaron Judge likely won't be able to play north of the border at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Neither will Chris Sale for Boston. That's right. If oh, he, there's a solution you know, to that. There is a, a solution. solution. There, there is a solution to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to like it, but there's a solution. No, no there that's a right. Solution. That's right. Um, that's what I was saying the other day, man. Like, the Jays, 
I, I, I will die on the hill that the Jays would have made the playoffs last year if they've been able to play their home games at home in front of fans the entire oh, yeah. season, just like mm-hmm. the rest of the league did. But that was something that the Jays couldn't control because it was laws within the country that was preventing that. Now, for the unvaxxed players on the Yankees and the Red Sox not being able to play games in Toronto and then for the New York players not being able to play home games. Yeah. I mean, th- there is a way around that, like we were saying. <laughs> There's a choice that can be made there that can help them play these games, but uh, t- whether or not they want to exercise that choice is up to them. So uh, think about, we'll think see about how many... How- Sorry, think about how crazy that is, though. Aaron Judge will not be able to play home games. So we're talking about 81 games. Key divisional games, games too. 81 games, and then key divisional games, and and the Subway Series against the Mets. Oh. So that's the other. Is that, a, is that a risk that you want to take? Well, that, and the question was asked at his, at his you know, preseason presser, yeah. and he kind of just skated around it and said, yeah, you know, like, I'm really Dutch looking forward man. to preseason. And, like, <laughs> and then he goes Are on you? to talk about his, his extension and, and, you know, how he, he feels like the Yankees should extend him prior to the season. Like, I don't know. I don't know. The Yankees, to me, like, I, I know they made some moves, but to me, the Yankees look like they're in a bit of a mess right now. They traded Gary Sanchez. He's gone. Uh, it's the AL East is going to be a different, uh, different division. I think this year, I think it's going to be Rays and Jays at the top. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that, be, that's what I think. I think it's going to be a good, good, uh, good season for Toronto. Um, but yeah, boys, uh, we're, we're, we're so used to doing the Sunday, Sunday nights. Um, now I've got the baby monitor going. I got the little man down for a nap and we're doing Wednesday afternoon. So, um, but uh, let's get right into Leaf Talk because there was, there was a lot to unfold this, this week with the Heritage Classic happening. Peter Mrazek obviously gets the start. I think we were all in agreement that Eric Schalgren should have got the start in the Heritage Classic. They do go with Peter Mrazek, try to boost his confidence, and um, yeah, it didn't go well. It looked good through 40 minutes, as Peter pointed out on Twitter, but that third period was a mess. And uh, Third goal, of, man. That third, third goal, goal was just... It was awful. It was awful to see. Uh, it was awful. I think that to watch. was worse than Campbell's goal against the Detroit Red Wings. Oof. Yes, but was, point, it, but was it as bad as P- Peter Mrazek's diving, losing the stick across the net, and it just slowly slides uh, by yeah. him? Yeah, that 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 howitzer of a Jacob Chicken shot. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's it, it, it's been rough for him to say the least. I mean, that's an understatement, like no doubt. Yeah. So I mean, obviously. Peter, talk, talk about the Heritage Classic. Um, uh, you know, the outcome obviously wasn't in their favor, but, uh, you know, it, it really was telling as to where this team's at with Peter Mrazek in net. Yeah, and I said that, you know, obviously you want to give him the benefit of the doubt after that Arizona Coyotes game. You want to, you want him to come back. I, I Again, we all agree that it probably should have been Shalgren, but, hey, you know, everyone deserves a chance to try and rebound. And it looked like that was happening. Um, you know, solid first period. Um, you know, he lets in, you know, two goals in the second period. But I think one, you know, it, the second goal, I, I got a lot of heat for this because I kind of said that, you know, yeah, it deflected off Brody. But, you know, Mrazic's reaction time wasn't where it needed to be. Like, he was still looking as the pass was made at Henestrosa. And then as soon as it deflects off the skate, that's when he realizes, oh, no, I got to move. So to me, it was a bit of both. Yeah, it's hard to stop the deflection, but at the same time, his reaction time, I'm gonna, I'm, it still wasn't where it needed to be. And that was the issue with Marie, Peter Mrazek from that point forward. The reaction time, the trying to locate the puck, the movements became a little bit inconsistent. It wasn't where it was in the first period. And it just started to crumble down for him. And, you know, when you have inconsistent goaltending like that, it's going to be a challenge. And yeah, it, it just got worse and worse. And there, there was that bad, bad angle shot. There was one where he knocked the net off and it still trickled in. But then again, you know, that rule, if the net's still off and it's going in through the line of where the net's supposed to be, they're going to count that. That happened to the Maple Leafs a few times. So it, it, it's, it's a tough spot for Morazic right now because now it, it's like the team doesn't have confidence in him anymore. And now you got, I know we're going to talk about, you know, Shalgren later on, but now you got pressure from another goalie in the system working his way up to try and compete for a spot. And now he's getting the favor over him right now. So now this is a very critical week because it, 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 whatever happens with, with Shalgren's play, 
it's going to dictate his future. And it's probably not going to end well if Shawgren continues to have the play that he has through his first, uh, I don't know, 140 minutes of NHL time. Yeah, can we can we all agree too that the the navy blue jerseys are actually like pretty sick when you get the get to see them live? Oh, hundred percent, dude. Yeah, I was. I, you know what? I didn't even need to be convinced of that. I was a big fan of them from the beginning, but I was mm-hmm. in the minority. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I yeah. know. I they're, talked about it on an earlier episode, but a I, I lot loved of flack yeah. from the fans, and I'm like, what's the issue? Yeah, no, they were beautiful. I, I like what they did about what they did with it, how they sort, I think I said this before too, but how they, they fully embraced like the vintage earliest version of this team. Look like mm-hmm. people are saying that the people are saying that the dark lettering on the dark Jersey was, was a little questionable, but at the same time, I think that was because they ran into uh, uh, copyright issues with the university of Toronto and their, and their T. So I mm-hmm. uh, couldn't just slap the T on there and go. Um, and uh, so I think that, you know, they made great of what they had. And then I, I think the Jersey ended up looking really good. And I, you already know, as soon as I can get my hands on one of these jerseys for a somewhat reasonable price, I'm, I'm buying one with Spets on the back. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, vintage Jersey for a vintage man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Alex heritage, classic reactions. Um, you know, this was a game for whatever reason, Buffalo continues to have the least number. Mrazic seems to be in his own head and, the least yet again can't get it done against a team that you know it's an easy two points or it should be an easy two points for them what were your takeaways from the heritage classic well first of all i understood why keith started peter morazic mm-hmm. and i wasn't happy about it because i said first i said first thing after that game against the coyotes like i, I think i used the word it would be a comedic failure if he didn't start um if he didn't start shalgren against the uh, uh against the sabers for the heritage classic and Maybe that was a little bit of a stretch, but the thing is, is that looking back, Sheldon Keefe gave Mrazek probably the the fullest extent of opportunities he could have gotten. And especially for that heritage classic right there, like Keefe essentially told him, listen, so we just watched you, you know, completely shit the bed against the coyotes we watched you shit the bed against Columbus a couple days ago, or was it, what was it Columbus? Who did they play on that Tuesday? I think Campbell. Oh no, Morazic played Columbus and then it was Campbell against the Kraken. That's right. Anyways. So Keith probably looked at, looked at Morazic and said, listen, we watched you shit the bed against Columbus. We watched you shit the bed against Arizona. Like that is that Arizona game, especially the four goals that he let in on the first 12 shots of the game. It's just terrible. So, I think that by Keith giving him an opportunity as a professional and as a guy who you can, you could consider a veteran now for where, uh, the amount of time he spent in the league, Keith gave him an opportunity to rebound and truly take the crease and run with it. He's like, listen, everybody from the media and the fans and you know, everybody else involved is pissed at me right now because I said, we're going to start you on Sunday, but I have confidence in you. Those boys have confidence in you. We want to start you, and if you if you if you go out and have a good game, then this isn't the end here. Like you can, we'll, we'll give you more starts. We'll give you an opportunity to run with it, and it didn't happen. Plain and simple, Mrazek got the biggest opportunity from Keith. He got his. I would say that even the way even the way that Keith was talking in that press conference uh, after the Arizona game made it sound like he himself didn't have any confidence in yeah. Mrazek, but he still went back to him against uh, Buffalo for the Heritage Classic, and at that point. I think the fact that he came in and he just he still couldn't just make saves like I like I know the first period was good the second period was okay the third period's where it all fell apart either way the Leafs let in five goals again so I think at that point Keith was right to give Shalgren the start against Dallas and for where we are now I mean Peter Mrazek is has been one of the worst goalies in the league in the calendar year so you can't get much worse than what he's deli- what he's given them this year and for Shalgren, I mean, if that guy keeps honestly showing up and being average, uh, keep start start him as much as you want. Honestly, I don't care. Like the bar is on the floor right now, so it'll be interesting to see where what he makes of this uh, little confidence that he's getting. I know we'll get into Shalgren in a little bit, so I'll save my piece on him for then. But yeah, uh, tough to see. Mrazek didn't really make anything with that opportunity, and uh, it's hard to see how he'll really get one for the rest of the year now. Yeah, we, we kind of talked about it uh, a couple episodes ago where he made the comment after the is his last win and he said, you know, a W is a W. And um, we, you know, we said it was it was one of those things where he's just trying to get the media off his back a little bit and blah, 
whatever. And I was okay with that. I was okay with that comment because I kind of understood where it was coming from. Then he goes after the loss to Arizona and he says, um, you know, I've been here before and, you know, I can get out of it. And, you know, I, I just, to me, it's like, okay, but you're, you're at a point in the season right now where, you know, Boston's creeping up on you. You, you know, the playoff pictures starting to look a little bit more foggy and, you know, it, the ball's in your court right now. Jack Campbell's injured, two, you know, out two weeks with a rib injury, uh, something he's obviously been dealing with for a while because, uh, you know, he told Morgan Riley he's been dealing with this injury for a little bit. And Morazic's got the opportunity to be that 1B, and he's, you know, like just not getting it done. And t- to me, like numbers that of 348 goals against and 884 save percentage in, you know, in 17 games – that's not good enough. That's not worth $3.8 million. Not even close. The 17 yeah. games is the big kicker right there. Cause it's like, man, I was, I tried so hard to defend Peter Morazic in January. Like even when he came in, you know, the, they played that game against Arizona where they got goalied by Vimelka and Morazic, you know, only let in two goals, but it was, or three goals or whatever. Was it two goals? Or, yeah, it was two goals. He only let in two goals, but it was on like 20 shots or something like that. And it still doesn't look great, but at the same time, it's like, okay, like he's still, coming back finding his form he's getting into a rhythm give him the benefit of the doubt and I said that so many times but now that he's got 17 games under his belt and his numbers haven't moved at all it's like it's becoming harder and harder to make excuses for this guy every day yeah yeah I I just I can't see him being being the answer like for for me that heritage classic like even even in the first and second period where he looked all right he was out of position on a number of occasions. He's overplaying pucks. He's, he's just, he's not an NHL goalie right now. Too aggressive. He's, he's way too aggressive. And I don't know if it's a mental thing. I, I I don't know um, what, what's, you know, different from previous years, but I mean, even then, like this guy is below nine ten for his, his career save percentage. His, I mean, he's had good defenses playing in front of him and somebody brought up the, the uh, the uh, the idea that you know Leafs Nation is looking back on the Frederick Anderson, um, you know, letting him walk and and, and regretting it, and it's not like Anything Frederick Anderson. Kind of narrative. Yeah, mm-hmm. Frederick Anderson would be in the same boat if he was in Toronto right now. It just it, it, it's a different defense. It's a different system in front of him. And Morazic, I I think what what happens in Toronto right now is that it's exposing Morazic for you know just how maybe mediocre he is. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing. And, and unfortunately that comes at a time when Jack Campbell's injured, he's not playing well. And, and maybe that hadn't, that, that was in part to the injury. Um, so now, yeah, you're, you're relying on a, on a 25 year old who's, you know, never had any NHL experience, has some, some pro experience overseas and, 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 you know, even won a championship and, um, and, yet he's come in and he's, he's played with a little bit more poise. He looks like a guy that's confident in himself. Um, The team plays confident in front of him. And uh, we've got Eric Schalgren going out there and recording his first shutout and his first start. Um, So Alex, I'm going to throw it back to you because I know you do have a lot, like you were pumping his tires in in the preseason here. You you were all about Eric Schalgren. And uh, yeah, I mean, what, what what have you seen from him in his, game and a half so far this season I think the biggest thing has just been the fact that the team looks different in front of him the team looks like they're confident in front of him and they don't have to play from behind that's been the main thing right there and I know Arizona game yes obviously they were playing from behind because Morazic led in those four goals but at the same time you know you've got a team that has the confidence to play their style of game and not have to worry about outscoring their problems or anything like that um and you know what? I, I was gonna, I was kind of hinting towards this before we got to this topic here. And the Leafs just need to, at this point of the season, Boston's what? Like I think four points back of them or two points back two. of them right now. Two, Are they? I, I, yeah. I knew it was two yesterday. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that changed after the Leafs won. By but, the time uh, we're I recording, guess, yeah. they're playing a back-to-back against the Minnesota Wild. So mm-hmm. that game is tonight when we're recording. So the outcome may change later on. Right. Just right. little note. So. There you go, though. Like the Leafs are, they've got Boston right on their asses. Washington's in the second wild card spot, only like five points behind. Sure, Tampa Bay and Florida are both in reach as well, but at the same time, Leafs are not in a position right now where they can be sitting around and waiting for their goalies to figure it out. 
Now, Eric Schalgren, not having the greatest of seasons in the AHL, but the way I see it, I always like to take AHL numbers with uh, for goalies, at least with a grain of salt, because it is what it is. You're it, it, a lot of the AHL is composed of washed up NHL veterans that aren't that can't hold a job in the in the uh, in the NHL anymore, and you've got rookies. So it's like it, it's a bit of a development league and also like a settle league for some players. So it's not like I'm not going to say the competition's not high because obviously you're, you know you've got guys playing for a championship and you've got guys that are um, taking it seriously, but. I always like to take those numbers with a grain of salt because, you know, Shalgren, the Marlies aren't that great of a team this year. He might not have the best defense in front of him all the time. So I'm not going to look at his AHL numbers and be like, this guy's not worthy of a look. Right. So he comes up to the NHL. And like you said, Forbes, he's got experience over in, uh, he's got experience playing pro hockey over in Sweden. He um, actually, I didn't even realize this until a couple days ago, but he was sharing a tandem with Victor Fast in Sweden. And uh, that's a Ducks legend for you. Bring that name back. Um, he uh, and Faust, I guess, went down with an injury and uh, Schalgren took over and put up like what would be considered Vezina numbers for the rest of the playoffs. Ended up being, the, he was the starting goalie when they won the championship. And because of that, it's shit like that where I, anytime I hear somebody say, oh, you know, the Leafs should you know, it's great that Shalgren did well, but, you know, they should still be trying to get Mrazek back to form because they're going to need him down the stretch. And, you know, you don't want to throw Shalgren into the fire like that. And it's just like, what, where's the bar right now? <laughs> Honest to God, like the bar is actually on the floor. We're not talking about a, a goalie, you know, like a Garrett Sparks type who came in in relief the one time, had a really good start and it's a feel good story. Oh, let's just, let's just take it and run. Let's get, let's give him the rest of the starts. Like at this point, People like people say, you know, you know, Leaf fans are overrating Eric Schalgren. That you know, he comes in, he gets a shutout in his first game, and all of a sudden he's he's the next fucking Vezina winner. And it's like, no Leaf fan is overrating him at all. It's just that is where the bar is right now. Hmm. We've literally watched Marazic come in here and give them like beyond replacement level goaltending for the for for however many starts he's had in 2022. And the Leafs need to win games. So if you've got Jack Campbell on the shelf with the broken ribs, you got Peter Mrazek who's still letting in four or five goals every game. You got Eric Schalgren who's giving, he's making saves for the first time on a, sorry, I should say making saves on a regular basis for the first time since Jack Campbell in December, I would say. So if Schalgren gives you your best chance to win, honestly, man, I don't care. Put him out there and start him every single game until he starts to falter or until Jack Campbell's back and you can start balancing out the load anymore. Because at this point, they have nothing to lose. Shalgren's not a rookie. He's a rookie to the NHL, but he's not a rookie to pro hockey. I think that with the numbers that he had last year in Sweden, um, had he signed with a team that maybe didn't have such a backlog of goaltending and he would have been able to compete for an NHL job, dare I say he'd have one right now. Whether it's a backup or a starter, he'd be in the NHL full time. Um, so I, I like to the fans that are to the people that are like, Oh, he's being overrated. He's not actually, he, they, they shouldn't put that much stock into him. It's not true at all. He's like, no one's overrating him. It's just, he is literally better than any option they have right now. So I don't know how this is going to affect their deadline plans personally, but I've been high on Shogren since the start. I think he's got, um, you know, he, he's got a lot going for him and, uh, I think his play over the next couple of weeks, like Peter said, could very well dictate what the Leafs do at the deadline in terms of goaltending. You know what it was for me was last night he made a he made a stop on a rebound, um, kicked out the right pad, and uh, it was just like a quick movement, uh, made the save with the right pad, and it, the puck went off to the sideboards. And that to me was like it was almost like a sense of relief. It was it was a breath of fresh air for yeah. us because, it, like you said, it's been since December that we can count on our goaltenders to make a save like that and, and, and have confidence in, in the fact that, Hey, we could steal a game. And that's what he did last night. He stole a game. He played he, what he made 35 stops. Um, you know, that's not, I believe there was a, there was a few high danger opportunities. I think there was a, seven or eight high danger opportunities. Um, but I mean, that's what you need. And, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the next Vesna guy. I'm not, I'm also going to say that, you know, there are a few out there that are kind of riding high off of this first game shutout, but they're allowed to, that's what fans are allowed to do. You're allowed to be excited when you see something that you haven't seen in two months, three months, 
that that's what that's what fandom's all about um but yeah for for me um uh, I, I don't know i don't know it's just it, I, I i'd like to see what he has i'd like to run with him until jack campbell comes back and then hopefully when jack campbell comes back he's healthy and you know you've got that one too and maybe you move morazic at the deadline i at this point i'd give morazic up for a seventh round pick because you're yeah. saving 3.8 million well, you're I, also I, I personally don't care you're also getting a draft pick, which the Leafs don't have a lot of in 2022. So. Exactly. Just mm-hmm. to throw this out there, by the way, because I was, I was, fuck, I was fighting a sneeze at the end of my last point there, so I had to cut it <laughs> off early. But there was one more, there was one more point that I wanted to make here. I'm going to take this quote from David Alter, friend of the show here. And he says last night, his quote from Shalgren was, Shalgren, who took the net as a backup in Sweden, asked if he thinks he can do it again here with the Leafs. And this was just after last night's game. He goes, I don't know. I'm going to take this very day by day. I've been called up less than a week ago. I'm still trying to enjoy this. Try not to think too much. And can I just say that, can you ask for a better mindset from a goalie who are, you're all of a sudden going to be relying on to win you hockey games yeah. in a, in a market like Toronto, where the media is going to be breathing down his neck and, and he you know, it. Yeah, he handles mm-hmm. it. He, he sits there and he says, I don't know. I'm, I'm here for as long as I'm here. I'm just trying to win games. Mm-hmm. That is the exact kind of mindset the Leafs need from one of their goalies right now. So I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to predict anything right now because Shogren could go out there tomorrow and let in seven goals and we'll all, and we'll all be like, oh, so maybe it was just a flash in the, plan, flash in the pan. I honestly have no idea what to expect from this guy. But with a mindset like that and the way that he handles himself to the media, I think that there's a better chance of him going on a run than there would be if it was another goalie. So Peter, let's get your thoughts on Shalgren. Uh, I'm just going to start off by throwing some numbers. Um, you mentioned high danger, Andrew, uh, 11 high danger saves and shots against um, all situations, you know, five on five power, power play penalty kill, you name it. Was his expected goals against supposed to be 3.56. So roughly three to four goals should have been gone or should have gone past them in, in hindsight, based on the amount of chances, because there were some pretty dangerous chances. Going back to Morazic in the Buffalo game at the Heritage Classic, and I mentioned this in my recent article about, you know, the goaltending situation, Morazic was 2.23 goals against, expected goals against, allowed four. And I don't have to reminisce about the Arizona Coyotes game because that was – you know, pretty bad, but it, it's natural stature would load a little bit, or it's just my computer. Never mind. Um, again, five on five, his save percentage was 636. Zero, 0.93 expected goals against allowed for. How can you expect to have any sort of confidence from, you know, your coaches, your teammates or anything, if you really can't make a save? And, and I know that may sound harsh, but you expect more, they, they expect more out of you. That's why they brought you in. They wanted you to replicate the kind of success that you had with the Carolina hurricanes last year, a little short sample or a small sample, because he did deal with injuries. He was capable of at least providing sub 900, uh, a sub 900 save percentage. And that's what you really want. They're not getting that. And the fact that Shalgren was able to come in and I know before I said 140 minutes, but like his, uh, his first 110 minutes, sorry, I was, you know, I can't math. Um, he's looked really good. And, you know, I, I said this during, during the broadcast yesterday after 40 minutes, if you're expecting to get the win yesterday and I wasn't uh, just high speculation, if they got the win, great. You got three more, two more games after this with Carolina and Nashville, both really good, high octane offense, really good goaltending. See what Shawgren could do. Luckily enough that they announced that Shawgren is starting against the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't care what the result's going to be, if it's a win or a loss. If Shawgren has the same type of consistency against the Carolina Hurricanes, you put him in for Nashville. Same thing. Win-loss, don't care. If it's a 3-2, 3-1 game, close, but, you know, a couple goals are a deciding factor, he's my guy for Nashville. At that point you you really do need to make a decision on what you're going to do with Morazic. And like you said, 3.8 million is a lot. You move that, you increase your cap space that you could bring in a, you know, a possible cheap top six forward, a reliable, steady, right-handed or left-handed shot that could be inserted into your top four. 
you have that cap space to work with. You have a cheaper contract with Shawgren, who's able to be more consistent, has the poise, like you said, the confidence, who doesn't panic, better movement over what you're getting with Peter Morazic. And, the, and, and like you said, the thing that stands out to me was that he was so confident. When he came in against Arizona, he, again, very, very tough situation. It's not easy for anybody. For him to come in and make a few really you know, impressive saves, because they were high-danger saves or like really impressive saves because of the fact that Arizona was 4-1, they had the momentum, and the Maple Leafs were trying to claw their way back. Chagrin gave them that opportunity to try and turn the tides and it did. And unfortunately it just didn't work out in overtime, different story. I'm not going to touch that with, you know, whatever. Um, but then the same thing happened against the Dallas stars. They didn't register a shot until they scored their first goal. I believe it was to get with Rasmus Sandine. And he made about five really impressive saves, including a two on one. And he didn't panic at all. That's what you want from your goaltender to give you that fighting chance. And Andrew said, uh, Alex said it best too uh, during a second ago. I'm just going to reiterate him. You go with the hot hand. And even what Alex has said all season, you go with the hot hand no matter what. Shawgren has that hot hand right now. Mrazic has been cold for a stretch of games. Even though for a stretch, for two or three, he's looked great. But at the same time, that consistency isn't there. And again, I'm repeating myself. Consistency, consistency, consistency. That's where they're at right now. They just want someone to get the job done, make a save, and give them a fighting chance. Shawgren's doing that. And yeah, we don't want to put too much stock into it. But like you said, what have we got to lose right now? Well, Peter, at least you've been consistent. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, the, the, the big thing for me is comfort. Like if he's looking comfortable and he, yeah. hell, if he looks comfortable and he gives up four goals that, you know, he didn't stand a chance on fine. The problem with Mrazek right now is he's not looking comfortable. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. look comfortable in that. Even uh, there was, I forget which game it was, but he, you know, tried to make a glove save and kind of push the puck away um, and right back out into the middle of the, the ice. It just, those are the things that you, you know, you got to take note of. And I think I, like Alex said at the very beginning of the show, I think the reason Mrazek got the start in the heritage classic was to, to give him that last opportunity to really, you know, grab it and go, and he just couldn't do it. And and I think right now you got to run with Shalgren. That's simple. It's a, it's a simple yeah. solution. Um, one other thing that came from the Heritage Classic is the Austin Matthews two game suspension. We're gonna and go there. We're gonna go there because, <laughs> um, as I'm sure both of you probably no i'm i'm not too pleased about it i get it i get it mm-hmm. i think you know it's just definitely deserving he was careless with the stick the whole point of the department of player safety is to protect its players but we want to talk about consistency the <laughs> consistency at the department of player safety has been an absolute joke for years this isn't new this isn't a new new opinion that i've i've just contrived over the last day or two because of the Matthew suspension. This is something that I've been on for a long time. And I've tweeted out a couple of videos of, of other incidents in the NHL that brought back $5,000 fines. I mean, Connor McDavid threw a, a blatant elbow. Uh, I believe it was last season or earlier this season. And all he got was a $5,000 fine. Nathan McKinnon threw his helmet. I believe all he got was a $5,000 fine. And now here we are with a guy, Austin Matthews, 68 penalty minutes in his career. And he's handed a two-game suspension because he cross-checked Rasmus Dahlin and it rode up his shoulder and got him in the chin. Both players after the game stated that it was a hockey play. On the exact same play, Rasmus Dahlin was called for a cross-check. Um, you want to go further with that, Austin Matthews has only drawn eight penalties, and that includes the cross-check on Rasmus Dahlin. Eight penalties this season. You're talking about a guy who has 45 goals, one of the probably one of the faster, you know, stronger guys on his on his feet, and he's drawn eight penalties this season. So, Peter, what were your thoughts on the two-game suspension and the Austin Matthews cross-check? Okay. The cross-check, okay, yeah. Bad, 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 bad. 
and I know everyone's everyone's gonna say, "Oh, you're you're, you're gonna defend that." No, I'm not gonna defend that. It, it, it was a bad hit. Like the stick got him in the head. No way around that. However, what was what was Rasul Salim doing to Austin Matthews seconds that warranted him to do that? The exact same thing. He shoved him like you know his stick came up pretty high too. It was around the shoulders, but it came up pretty high. And he cross-checked him into the, into the crossbar. He was roughing him up quite a bit. And I think Austin Matthews just snapped and said, you know what, screw this. I'm going to do it, whatever. Like you said, should have warranted something. But if I recall, isn't, you know, first-time offenders just a fine? Isn't it weird how the NHL, the game's barely over, and they said that Austin Matthews already has a hearing? Is it weird or very convenient that 14 other instances like that have happened and multiple across multiple areas where it's the first time or second, third, fourth, whatever, all they got was just a fine. I just recently saw a clip that I think you just posted, Andrew, or someone else posted that, you know, it was Daniel Chara against Gallagher. Uh, Brandon Gallagher. Right in the face. Project to the face. Fine. What does he get? Fine. 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 If you're going to be, and again, consistency. And I think that's where everyone is just really pissed off and everyone is just trying to say, oh, typical leave bias, whatever. They're just angry because their superstar got suspended. No, it's the, it's the fact that George Peros and the Department of Player Safety aren't even following their own rules on how they do things. Like, because he is a first-time offender, I thought that maybe there should have been a fine. If you wanted to go a little bit further and send a message, fine. Give him a one or two game suspension. There's no, there's no consistency. I, I, again, con- yeah, consistency. There's no other way to put it. Um, like they don't have their own basis on how to deal with things anymore. It, it's like they're just throwing a dart at a board every single time. And they're going to be like, okay, we're going to go with that one just because why not? That's what it seems like is happening. And it's absolutely embarrassing that they're trying to say that they're doing the right thing because if they want to set a precedent, that's the word I'm looking for. They want to set a precedent with everything that's going on. That hit that Austin Matthews should have done should be a two game suspension minimum throughout. It's not, it's not. And until you, and I'm going to say this again, Andrew, I know we talked about this before. Same with Alex. You need a clean house with the department of player safety complete overhaul like you're rebuilding a new franchise top to bottom because it's just going to keep on happening and they're going to say that this is going to be the standard it's not it really is not department of player safety officiating everything i think you need clear house from the from the top down um because i mean what what was said when mcdavid threw that elbow at uh center ice it was that that was worse than what matthews did but he wasn't getting the calls and Mm -hmm. he he the wires crossed the night before austin matthews did the cross check marcus felino threw out a knee what happened a find yeah okay the night after huberto targeted the head right beside the net what happened nothing not even a fine so alex i'm gonna throw it to you what are your thoughts on the two game suspension for austin matthews well uh, i'm not gonna add too too much here because peter pretty much completed the biggest mic drop i've ever seen but um what I, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, for those wa- uh, listening and not watching, Peter just uh, jokingly dropped his microphone on the screen. Scared me for a second, scared Forbes for a second. Um, Sorry about that. I'm just gonna, no, that's okay. I'm just gonna take one second to address fans of opposing teams. If you're a fan of an opposing team and you hate the Leafs, and we know that there are a lot of, a lot of you out there. Oh, yeah. And if you're sitting there saying that Leaf fans don't know what they're talking about, and shouldn't be upset over the Matthews two-game suspension. I, I say this in the most respectful way possible. Shut the fuck up, please. For once and for all, shut the fuck up. Take the fucking goggles off and just shut up, please. Ba- okay, anyways, now that I've gotten that out of the way, I don't think it, take, it takes a rocket scientist. Uh, Jesus, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist does it take to rocket be able appliances? To tell, no, it doesn't take rocket appliances to be able to tell <laughs> that no Leaf fan is arguing what Austin Matthews got. 
we want to get plays like that out of the game, even if it was a, you know, he tried to go for his shoulder and it slipped and rode up his, and caught him in the neck and the head, that you see, you got to suspend him for that because that's something you're trying to get out of the game. Yeah. However, ever since Tim Peel got fired, I think the worst kept secret in the NHL has been that they don't call games by the rule book. They have a certain way that they call games. They'll do their makeup calls. They'll, they'll ignore, you know, penalties being taken against the game's biggest stars. See McDavid last year, see Austin Matthews for his entire career, essentially. So when you take that into consideration, and then you go down and you look at the list of the videos of um, the, the list of the videos, like you said, Forbes, and I, I saw a couple of threads like this of people committing the exact same infraction that Matthews did and getting away with just a fine. And then, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even know how to like connect these two points, but basically all I'm trying to say is that all anybody wants is consistency. This is not a case of Leaf fans just once again, you know, demanding the world, demanding everything goes fine for them. And, you know, whatever happens to other teams, I don't give a shit. Everybody in the NHL knows the state of officiating, officiating right now and the state of the DOPS right now is absolute dog shit. Everybody knows that. Leaf fans aren't the only ones in the league that hate officiating. Habs fans hate the officiating. Oilers fans hate the officiating. Fuck, even Carolina Hurricanes fans hate the officiating. Even Arizona fans hate the officiating. Even Arizona fans. <laughs> all of them hate the officiating. Like, if you're actually sitting there and, act and, and, and you know, saying that Leaf fans are being biased and that Matthew's, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, my, uh, if someone did that to Matthews, you'd want him suspended for 10 games. It's like, no, if someone did that to Matthews, I'd want him suspended for two games. If that's going to be the president, if that's, where, if that's what we're going to suspend Matthews for, then suspend everybody else for that too. None of this fucking stupid $5,000 fine bullshit. None of this, you know, get, get, get like five, 10 games for something that still should have only been a couple of games. Nothing like that. Just consistency man that's literally all what any fan wants from the I, nhl and their officiating i'm in agreement that you know within the rules if you're a, if you're like a five-time offender and you do that same thing then yeah you know what give them seven okay games, yeah 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 right? i should have mm-hmm. sorry i should have specified that yeah. but like i mean look at look at pk suban this season how many slew foots has he thrown and he's gotten fined every yep. time mm-hmm. um you know a, a perfect example uh I just I don't I don't see how you take a guy who has no history of boiling over and all of a sudden throw a two game suspension at him because yes the the play was a hundred percent suspendable hundred percent but you haven't done that consistently over the last three mm-hmm. seasons since George Peros went into the the Department of Player Safety he he has not been consistent no and that's the other thing right there too sorry to cut you off Forbes but I another the other point I wanted to make it's like all of this can be avoided if the refs just do their jobs and just call the games like they're supposed to be called. And I don't know why this is so hard for them to figure out. There's never going to be any discourse. I mean, sure, there will be discourse. Fans are Hockey fans are emotional. People will form their own opinions on if something's too harsh or not enough. But if you're consistent, I guarantee you the amount of complaints is chopped in half. All, like consistency is the absolute bare minimum that you can do. And just to reiterate again, that Matthews cross-check doesn't happen if the refs don't sit there and watch him get probably five penalties committed against him and not call anything. Fuck, the same thing happened with the, with the, Jason, Suspeth, uh, the, Jesus, the Jason Spezza suspension mm-hmm. back in December. You know, I don't think any Leaf fan in the world was acting like what he did to Neil Pionk was clean. It was dirty. It was a dirty play. And if anybody did that to Spezza, you know that Leaf fans would have been saying – suspend his ass, kick him out of the league for the rest of the season. But that doesn't happen if the refs don't just blatantly ignore Pionk's neon-neon Sandine. It doesn't happen if the refs don't just watch Pierre-Luc Dubois manhandle Austin Matthews in the corner without a call. The refs were not doing anything, nothing at all. So it just... It, <laughs> None, it, it just baffles me that it's like all of this can be avoided if you just do your jobs. Do the one thing that you're paid to show up and do, and they don't. They, 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 they pull this stupid bullshit where they, where they call games just sort of it's, – it's almost like they're trying to please both sides with the, with the way they manage games and stuff. And it's just – I don't know. I'm going to keep talking in circles, so I'll cut myself off now. But, like, consistency, man. Consistency and do your jobs. That's literally all anybody wants from you. 
Like, I think we found the title for this episode. <laughs> Consistency? Yeah. And also, boys, I'm throwing my name in to be the head of the Department of Player Safety. I, I'm I would my campaign right now. I'm going to, I would vote for you. I'm, I'm going to try and fix everything right now. I'd vote for you only if I can make the videos. Be, be like, this was a dirty fucking hit. He deserves the two <laughs> fucking games, and we're going to give it to him. Um, here's a, head, here's the a headline. Yeah. Here's a headline from the Edmonton jur- Journal following that game. Um, Matthews pays the price for finally boiling over. If that doesn't tell you enough, what's going on in the league? I mean, looking back at the Arizona game when he was hooked inside the, inside the offensive zone just to yeah. lose the puck and it goes back the other way to the game, you know, game winning goal. That to me is just so telling of where the league's at. Um, and for those wondering, instead of a $5,000 fine, Matthews is forfeiting $116,402.50 for this two game suspension. So, I mean, far more, um, far more dollar amount misses out on two games. Here's a guy going for 60 goals and, and you're going to, you're going to sit him for two games because of, you know, an errant stick. I, I, I don't know. I just, you're going to sit him for two games because your job, your refs don't know how to do their fucking jobs. You're yeah. sitting him for two games because of incompetence. <laughs> That's literally all it is. Yeah. I will no. say this. I am. Okay. Again, you don't condone what Matthew said because that's what you're trying to take out. But I love the energy and intensity that he has the fight to stand up for himself and not take this crap anymore. And, and this is the problem right now where if the refs aren't going to do their job and the players are going to take it into their own hands and defend themselves. Because, yeah, again, it, it was dumb. It, the stick was high. But at the same time, when have you seen this amount of fight or, or um, you know, passion or intensity from Austin Matthews? If he's going to play like this from here on out and be that, you know, 50, 60 goal score, close to 100 points, hell, give me, give me this any day of the week. And now it's showing now that, you know, even if players try to get under his skin, he's going to stand up for himself no matter what. And I think this is going to be a turning point for him. I know this is kind of hypocritical, but I, I don't condone what he did, but I would do it every fucking time. I would do it every time. Somebody's manhandling me in front of the net, my stick's coming up. I, that's, not, that's not hypocritical at all. Because we're not saying that Austin Matthews, you know, shouldn't have done that. We're not saying that, you know, um, it was a dirty play and he needs to be suspended for it. I mean, that, that is what we are. That is what we are saying. But, you know, it all comes back to the fact that it was caused by official incompetence. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was personally, I was happy to see Matthews fight back like that after he was sitting there and taking all this contact with, with not like with no repercussions for the opponents. So mm-hmm. uh, sorry, just wanted to jump in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I like, like I said, when I played, you know, I was in there every time and I would, I would do it again. I would do it again. I, I think you need it. You need to show that fight. You need to show you're not going to take that shit. And I loved, I loved seeing it. And you know what? I think, I think next time Rasmus Dahlin thinks, uh, thinks again about, uh, you know, doing what he did to Matthews. I really do. I think he thinks a second time because it, who knows, maybe that stick comes up again. Um, Jacob Middleton, there's some rumors swirling about the possibility that Jacob Middleton could end up in blue and white. Um, again, the asking price is similar to what Colorado gave up for uh, Josh Manson, which we'll get into in just a moment. But uh, gentlemen, do you think, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Do you think uh, Middleton's a, a fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think he's a fit for the Leafs, but only because of his mustache. If you haven't seen Jacob Middleton's mustache, Google a picture of him right now and thank me later because, my God, is it ever a thing of beauty. We haven't seen a stash like that in Toronto since Mike Brown. No offense to Austin <laughs> Matthews. But um, I, honestly, like, I think that his style of play is something that the Leafs could use. You know, they, I, He plays kind of similar to Ilya Labushkin, albeit he's got some more offense to his game. Um, Having said that, I think if the Leafs are going to trade for a defenseman, I think I'd rather see him shoot a little, uh, shoot a little higher than Jacob Middleton. You know, I think Labushkin kind of was their depth ad this year, and uh, if they're going to go after another defenseman, I think I'd rather see it be like a, like a Hampus Lindholm type or something like that. Having said that, you already know that if Jacob Middleton were to come to Toronto and help them win a playoff round or let, win a cup, let alone win a playoff round. I don't care what the price is. I'd be happy with whatever they gave up. But um, out on the forefront, a second and a prospect, I feel like that's a little too much. I'm not sure that's something I'd want to – I'm not sure how much um, term Jacob Middleton has left or if he's a UFA this summer. Um, 
that might sway my decision a little bit more if he's got some term. But yeah, especially if he's a UFA, I'm not really too, too keen on the idea of trading that for him. But uh, he definitely is a guy worth checking in on. I'll say that. Peter, same question. You see Middleton as a fit, and, and what do you think about the possibility of giving up a second and uh, a prospect? Um, I haven't really seen much of him play this year, except the times when Toronto has played San Jose. And, you know, he looks like a tough customer. You know, he looks like a guy that has, like, you know, if you're trying to go up against him, he's going to lay the body. He's going to make it tough for you. Um, he has played, you know, alongside, I believe, both. I, I, I know for sure right now he's currently paired with Brent Burns. I'm not sure about Eric Carlson, but I thought I heard that he has seen time with both of them. So he has that ability to play with top-tier players, and it kind of has that balancing act where you want to have that puck mover, offensive-minded player, and then have that defensive-minded right with him. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, to give up a second and uh, a prospect, in this case, I'm probably thinking that, you know, if they're looking at a mid-tier, maybe running here with a Nick Abrusese, um, maybe a bit too high for someone that really hasn't had much – of a big sample in the NHL, um, at least with Josh Manson, you know what you're getting. So you would obviously have to pay that price based on his consistency, what he can do. I just haven't seen much of Middleton. Um, could work out, but then again, like Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for someone a little bit more higher on the depth. I know for, if you're going to like this, maybe a Mark Giordano, um, you know, Calvin, the Hans name has been floating around um, again, Hampus Lindholm. Uh, so I, I think those names are more what you would want to pay a price for than just a second and a pick for, you know, a, a Jacob Middleton type player, nothing against him. It's just, you know, you want to get your values worth. And I don't think he's worth that at this point. Yeah. I'm not going to add much to that. Uh, Alex, he is an RFA after this season. So the Leafs would hold. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Um, that being said, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of on the same boat as you guys. I'd reach a little higher. I think if you're going to go for another defenseman, um, like, look, your pipeline for defensemen is great. Uh, you just got to f- try and find a way to develop these guys and get them in the league. Um, for me to go out and get, you know, add another guy in Middleton, I think you're, you're actually, you know, you're hampering the, the opportunities for, for guys like Sandine and Lilligren and, you know, down the line, Niamela and, 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 you know, guys that, that should get an opportunity at some point within the organization. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I wouldn't give up a second in, in a prospect for Middleton and it's nothing against him. I just, I don't think that's, that's what you're looking for at this point. Um, but uh, I, I mentioned it on Twitter. Um, the, the Colorado avalanche and we'll kind of tie this all in before we throw it to Kiana. Um th- the Colorado Avalanche cleaned up a little bit of cap space, moving Tyson Yost to, to Minnesota for Nico Sturm. Um, and then they went out and uh, they got Josh Manson, adding him to their, their already uh, impressive team and, and really makes them a favorite to, to win the cup this year. But <clears throat> Josh Manson is a guy that uh, obviously, Peter, you've talked about year in and year out for probably the last three years. Uh, and, and I was kind of surprised that he did go – for I, I think it was a, a fairly cheap price in, in Hellison in a second. Um, that said, uh, Peter, I'll, I'll take your, your opinion first here because, I, like I said, you're, you're a guy that's kind of talked about Manson possibly being a Leaf at, one, at some point, and now he's, now he's with Colorado. What are your thoughts? It hurts. Um, <laughs> Peter's um, in the grieving stage. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, even though that he was on Toronto's no trade list, it, it, like I, I knew probably wouldn't happen, but you know, the Colorado avalanche want to get tougher. They want to add some size. They want to add that smart suit and already deep blue line of what they already have. And, you know, they do have, they do have a great depth uh, in their prospect pool. So giving up Drew Hallison was, you know, something that they could afford with, including a second round pick. Cause let's face it, they're in win now mode. They're like, you know, many other teams that want to try and make a move. Um, but, but I thought it was smart on their end. And you know what? Maybe he's not in that top four for them, but he's still going to be a real impactful player and, you know, have that consistency for them in a third pairing role. And I think that's going to work out for them in the future. 
Alex, what are your thoughts on, on you know, obviously Manson going to Colorado and, and uh, Toronto not uh, not landing this uh, this particular defenseman? Mm. You know what? I, I do want to make a point to say that I think a lot of the people were looking at the return that Manson got, or fetched rather, and, you know, they see a second, a second round pick and a prospect and they just start losing their mind. Why? Why did the least trade that for Manson? And it's like, like, Drew Hellison's a lot better of a prospect than you think. That's mm-hmm. that that would be, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the equivalent of the Leafs. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's it's the equivalent of Topi Namala, but I would go as far as to say that'd be the equivalent of them trading, say, like a like a Ronnie like Ronnie Hirvonen, I guess, if you want to go level of prospect. I'm not sure mid-tier. I'd say it's any of the big four, but yeah, it's a high mid tier prospect. Hellison, actually, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because the Leafs don't really have any other defensive prospects that are worth comparing besides Niemela. But, like, we're talking about a guy who's 20 years old and he's a six foot three right handed defenseman. He's just about a point a game player uh, in the NCAA. At that point, trading him on top of a second round pick, like, I think he reminds me, Drew Hellison reminds me a lot of kind of the style of game that Josh Manson himself plays. So, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that's a package I would have wanted to give up for him. Um, also, just the fact that Manson had that no trade clause going for him. And, you know, people will say, oh, that you know, those can be bents. And that's true, it can be. But for the Leafs to have to pry Josh Manson out of Anaheim, convince him to want to come, and then also, if, that, if, you're, if that's going to happen, then you know that Anaheim's going to be asking for a King's ransom from him. Um, I just think, uh, yeah, I... I, I I, I think that's one of those moves that's – it's a real hindsight move where you can look back and say the Leafs should have traded for him, but I, I think there was enough reason to not make the move for him. And, I and you know, I don't think Dubas is done this year. I think he's still got lots – he's still got some work ahead for him, and I think he's going to make another move here and there. So I'm not too broken up about it. And Manson would have been nice to have maybe as a more reliable option on the right side instead of Timothy Lilligren, but – you know, I'm not. I'm not losing sleep over it. Worst case scenario, the Leafs can try and they can try and tra- uh, sign him this offseason. I think he's a free agent. So, who knows? Yeah, I I said it when we talked about it a few episodes back that you know Manson wasn't my my uh, I don't know my my favorite for for the Leafs landing a, a defenseman. I just with the injuries that he's had over his career, like he he tends to suffer at least one injury per season. I know because I had him in fantasy and he's, he just continued to ride my IR. Uh, but uh, also I, I, I just think like the price would have been too high. Um, and for a guy, like you said, Alex, for a guy that doesn't particularly want to be in Toronto, um, you know, why would you, why would you make that move um, and possibly give up some future pieces for, for a guy that might walk at the end of his contract anyways. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a great move by Colorado. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to that team and, and get an opportunity to win a cup? Um, for Toronto, there, there's a lot of talk that, you know, they may be partnered with uh, with Colorado be, before the deadline. And, and there's also a lot of talk that Toronto could be in the market to make a couple moves prior to the deadline. So there's a lot of trade opportunities here for the Leafs. Um, I think we've we've been over this a thousand times. Uh, so I'm not going to go crazy with with getting into the details and the possibilities because we can we can shoot around possibilities for hours. Uh, with that said, um, obviously Peter, you've got you've got draft content rolling at uh, the Hockey Writers. The draft guide is out, as we mentioned last week. Profiles are slowly coming in, but uh, mm-hmm. they're going to be pumping out hard. Um, yeah. What else you guys got for our listeners heading into the next week? Well. Um, I am going to be, uh, uh, doing my, a, uh, history of the trade deadline piece for the Leafs, uh, not the history of the whole trade deadline. Sorry. I should have clarified that, but I'd be forever. I'd, yeah, I'd be working on, I'd be working on a long ass article <laughs> if I were doing that. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing a least trade deadline history piece. So I'm essentially going to be recapping the best top five best deadline deals they've ever made and probably the top five worst as well. I'm going to get uh, get gathering on my information for that once we're done recording here and hopefully have that one up by the weekend. And uh, had a little bit of a busier weekend than I anticipated, so I wasn't able to get started on these yet, but I will have a couple of draft profiles coming out soon anyways. My first one is going to be uh, on a prospect, and his last name rhymes with uh, Pekari Mackey. So do whatever you want with that information. And, uh, Peter, what I'm, do you got for us? I'm a big fan of who you're writing about, Alex. Uh <laughs> 
for the record. Con- um, Conathan, Conathan Paparimaki. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Um, uh, yeah, I got more profiles in the works as well. Um, I took a poll on Twitter to see who would want to see it. And drumroll, the winner of my next profile is going to be Owen Beck. So uh, going to be a fun one. Obviously, I wanted to try and do Kelly Adelius, but, you know, the fans have spoken. Um, going to do Owen Beck and then... Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, can't even talk right now. Looking to also do a uh, you know a more in-depth look kind of uh, piece on Ilya Labushkin right now. Um, you know the Maple Leafs acquired him, and maybe we got a bit of a sa- bigger sample size with him and uh, his impact on the team right now. So I'm looking to try and do that post NHL trade deadline. Beautiful. Well, boys, uh, I will be uh, coming out with a few draft. Uh, draft profiles as well in the next little bit um as mentioned last week we got some big news for the podcast uh hopefully in the next couple weeks here we get things all solidified and uh some good guests hopefully in the next couple weeks as well as we continue to push some content for you folks but uh with that said that's episode 75 thank you again for joining us as always you can head over to um youtube spotify or wherever you download your podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio. Make sure you hit the subscribe, the follow, whatever it is that uh, you can do to help us out. Uh, if you want to check us out, check us out on Twitter. Peter at P. Barracchini, uh, Alex at A. Hops and Media, or myself at Andrew G. Forbes. Or you can check out the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-P-O-D. Um, otherwise, boys, we'll be back here again next week with... I'm sure a lot more Maple Leafs content as we head into episode 76.